Hello, you are listening to episode 58 of Desi Geek Girls. I am Preeti Chipper, and I am here with a very special guest for today's episode, Nisha Sharma. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, thank you for coming on. So Nisha is a YA and contemporary romance author. She's been in the game for a minute, writing books like My So-Called Bollywood Life and the Singh Family Trilogy, and this summer, her latest YA, Radha and Jay's Recipe for Romance, releases. Ah, so excited. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the I'm show. Excited. Very, very happy to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I love your show. I'm really excited that, you know, I get I get to be a part of it. So, Well, what's kind of fun is so Sapna and I started Desi Geek Girls back in like 2017, I think. And we do love focusing on art by South Asian creatives and mm-hmm. watching how much it has steadily grown in the four years since we started the show has been amazing. That's awesome. I mean, and and I think that podcasts like yours and um, have really helped not only share the message of art by South Asians and American South Asians, but um, it's helped encourage other people to also, you know, share their work. So, um, so you guys are doing a great service to everybody. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm excited to have you on here and and just talk about you know writing and and literature and and what the space looks like for our community right now um Mm -hmm. and i would like to start off with a very basic question what made you want to write um i think uh it's it's this it's an interesting conversation i had with my sister and my father like a couple years ago that really made me reevaluate this question but basically my my dad my sister were reading this nonfiction book and um the message was we we're constantly scrambling in our life to look for what is our core purpose? What is the the thing that drives us to live every day um, and to live our best life every day? And what is the thing that motivates you that, that you're passionate about? And um, everyone always focuses on like, what are we going to do for the rest of our life? But oftentimes, you know, it's the journey that we really should be focusing on versus the end goal. And for me, um, I think I've always known that like writing was the end goal. I've always felt like I've been one of those few fortunate ones that never really had to focus on the journey because I knew that writing was always the end goal. So um, I never once questioned that I wanted to be a writer because it was something that the first time that I ever picked up a book and I read my first sentence um, and I, and I finished my first book by myself without my parents you know, helping me as a child, I always knew that, you know, this is, this was it. So this was going to be my journey for the rest of my life. And I was totally okay with that. So, um, so I'm one of the very fortunate, very privileged people that has been able to find their spark, their passion very early. That's amazing. And I'm I'm very (laughs) jealous because my journey towards it was so windy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but that's, that's what my, my, you know, my dad, my sister were talking about, like, oftentimes that exploration itself is, is, you know, part of, mm-hmm. part of the whole process, um, you know, and I, I never really had that part of the process, but like, I'm still looking at it as a journey, which is, um, which I think is important for us to kind of accept the ups and downs, you know, as we, as we go along. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's. It is also quite nice to hear from someone within our community who had that, who who was able to kind of access that and immediately start working towards it without necessarily Mm -hmm. having to go through the like 
I guess I'm going to be pre-med, you know? And, mm-hmm. and well, don't get me wrong. I actually was pre-med for a hot second. <laughs> like, I, like I always knew I was going to be a writer and I always knew I was going to write. Um, but at the same time, like, I think we're, it's, you know, our, our parents come to the U S they, mm-hmm. they pull their roots out of like this rich brown soil in India and they bring it to the U.S. and it shocks the root system, right? So they mm-hmm. want to establish a root system as quickly and as as efficiently as possible in an, an in stable land, right? So stability comes with money and yep. with, you know, prestige. And so medical engineering law, like those are the things that they yep. knew at the time with their limited edu- education or knowledge or whatever, that would create that stability. So in a way we are born with this understanding that, you know, we have to contribute to this growing root system Mm -hmm. and we have this deep seated obligation to support that, you know, root system. And like, I was very fortunate that my parents, although they really wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer, they always knew that I was going to be a writer. So they were like, listen, you can do this and make money while you're developing your writing career. And, you know, and like builds your like stability, you know, build your finances, whatever. So I did go through that phase. But <laughs> in that whole time, let me tell you, I was pre-med. I was reading Sherilyn Kenyon romance novels the whole time. And like, pre-med classes so (laughs) (laughs) it's funny on multiple levels because it's like you can't escape it you can't especially of like I think our our generation of kind of when our parents came over and what we grew up into you cannot escape this this notion but also I'm laughing at this idea of like you can do the doctor, lawyer, engineer, accountant thing and do your passion on the side because yeah, the biggest one of the fa- one of my favorite lies that my mother told me that I did not learn was a lie until I was an adult, like <laughs> like an adult adult, you know, not like twenty two. Like I think I was like thirty when I found out this was a lie. Was that Pete Sampras, tennis player, Pete Sampras? was a lawyer in addition to being a tennis player and that was proof that you I could... remember you saying this once I was like breathe are you serious yeah, I had no idea like that was used as proof in our household that you could have a passion as long as you got a professional degree that's hysterical <laughs> he was I not think... he was not a lawyer no he was not a lawyer I think like Part of part of the privilege that I had growing up was that my dad was a psychiatrist. So mental health mm. was always looked at very seriously in my household, which is not something that many, many, many no. South Asian households experience, right? So so my dad always used to say, like, if this makes you happy and this feeds your your passion, you should totally do it. But just remember that like you still gotta make money, man. Like you, you gotta you, you have to live. Money. You gotta <laughs> live. So you either do it with your whole heart and you make it so that you are so incredibly solid and like secure financially, like mentally, physically, whatever. You know, you do it to the point where you can you can make this your living. Or you do something else on the side until you feel confident where you have your sea legs and your passion. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's and what I ended up doing. I ended up working in a separate profession while I was constantly writing and, you know, creating stories and pursuing publications. So 
How important do you think the Desi or the South Asian community is for you as a professional creative? Oh, um, I mean, when, when like corporate, like whatever meetings they do icebreakers and they're like, list five things about your identity or five like words that describe your identity. South Asian is always number one. Like that is, that is who I am. That is, it, it is everything that I do. I am a South Asian writer. I am a South Asian woman. I am a South Asian, uh, you know, uh, like a wife, I'm a South Asian, like pet mom. I, that is, that is everything that I do. So it is incredibly important to everything that I am and everything that I produce as a writer. You talked a little bit already about what your, what your kind of life growing up was as a, Mm -hmm. as a writer um, and, and within the South Asian family construct, but what are some things you wish you'd known as a kid growing up as a South Asian American, as an Indian American, um, mm-hmm. and, and how, or do you kind of let that influence your work? So, um, the one thing I wish I knew, uh, you know, growing up that I still struggle with today that I think is, you know, really important, um, as a South Asian growing up with immigrant parents or South Asian growing up in a community that has very strong cultural influences is that you don't have to finish everything you start if it doesn't bring you joy. I feel like for me, like growing up, I always felt like I had to finish everything I started, even if it made me unhappy until the point where I mastered it and then I could let it go. Like piano lessons, violin lessons, like tennis, swimming, whatever it was, I had to develop proficiency before I could say, no, this is not for me. And, you know, and that, that was really hard for me when I was in college and I did my like year of pre-med because I was like, no, I'm going to finish this. And it was actually my parents who were like, what are you going to do? Like, like go to medical school and be completely unhappy and then go back and try something else. Like, that's not how this works. Like you have, like (laughs) you're going to waste eight years of your life just say no now it's okay and it took me a while to like really understand you know yeah it's okay (laughs) you can stop you don't have to you don't have to complete everything if it doesn't bring you happiness so um and I think that's uh like part of that is we see we only see on social media now like everyone's proficiency and the highlight reel of everyone's life so we feel like we're constantly pressured to be the best or to succeed at everything and um and that is specifically if you're like watching south asian content creators and things like that so you know it's um it's something that i still struggle with today but it's really important to know no that is definitely an important lesson that is immensely difficult to put Mm -hmm. into practice um what are some things that people anyone readers publishing professionals editors, writers, what are some things that people should be conscientious about when it comes to South Asian American women and publishing? Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think that it's like such a, that's like such a great question, but there's so many different answers that mm-hmm. can really, you know, that I can give you for it. I think the first one is South Asian women are, are still viewed in a particular way way through stereotypes through model minority myth 
And, you know, because publishing itself lacks diversity, uh, there's a lot of people who believe in those stereotypes. And a lot of South Asians themselves still have internalized colonialism that they're wrestling with. And oftentimes they wrestle with it through the books that they write. So um, I think it's, you know, it's important for us as South Asian writers and for publishing to view South Asian women as we're, we're not a monolith and we have to constantly dismantle these stereotypes that are presented to us um, in a way that we can, you know, continue to um, support the growth of South Asian women and, um, and, um, and I hate to use the phrase break the glass ceiling, but I feel <laughs> like that's the best, like that's the best way to describe it right now. Like in order for us to succeed together, we have to, um, kind of dismantle the structure that's holding us back. No, that makes total sense. Um, I think it's it's been an interesting experience to view how publishing is growing, I think at a much slower rate than our mm -hmm. readership is growing and then our authorship is growing. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have these different speeds to growth and to uh, – to that notion of dismantling where we are as readers and writers having to work a little bit harder in order to dismantle the structures that work against us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think like the other thing that we have to really think about is working together because I found in publishing that, you know, a lot of people are working on like their individual journey in order to mm -hmm. dismantle these stereotypes. Um, and there's still so, uh, like a lack of trust, I think, with each other, because we don't know where we all are on like addressing our internalized colonialism, mm -hmm. where we are on our own individual paths. But I think it's important that, you know, we as writers and we as publishing start working more together in order to do that. And I, and I don't see that often with, um, you know, in the South Asian community. And it's because of colonialism, right? It's like, that is something that colonialism has taught us that there's only one spot at the yep. top and there's only one position for success. So you have to do it on your own and you have to like basically beat everyone else out who's just like you when in fact that system is flawed. It's, mm -hmm. we will all succeed, but we have to work together to succeed. So yep. But. Yeah, we have to lift ourselves, like lift each other up so that it would be truly, I, I mean, capitalism, mm -hmm. but like at the end of the day, it's making ourselves into, if if the goal is kind of um, success on multiple levels, specifically within publishing and not outside of the system, because that's a whole other conversation right. within the system, you know, you have to be as attractive as a prospect as possible for a publisher to pick you up. And part of that would be lifting each other up to make right. ourselves all be as attractive as possible right. in order to be literally acquired by a publishing house. Um, right. Switching, uh, switching gears a little bit to talk more about writing and, and the craft, what, because you write both contemporary romance and mm -hmm. young adult romance. And, mm -hmm. and when I say contemporary romance, I mean literally within the romance um genre right how is writing for a romance audience different than when you're working on your YA uh, rom-coms I think that 
I, I struggle with this question just because like, for me, it's so easy to switch voices mm -hmm. and I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. There are a few authors that I think can do that as well pretty easily. Like Emily Henry writes YA and she just, you know, hit the times list again for her second book. Um, I think it's, um, it's something that's very natural to me to write YA and kind of address my inner demons um, from my childhood and kind of unpack my childhood trauma in my YA. But in my adult romance, it's very easy for me to kind of connect with the story. Like I'm telling, telling um, you know, the story of a friend uh, who's my age and who's dealing with issues that I've dealt with as well. And I feel like it's, um, it's just two sides of like the same person. Um, so um, craft wise, it's not, um, it has never really been a struggle for me. It's just a matter of like, almost like switching a light switch in my head. In terms of like the actual act of writing, you are so organized. <laughs> I am oh my gosh. My so editor would disagree with you. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very jealous at your kind of ability to organize your time and organize your day in such a way. Like how does that influence your, your creativity or, or um, sure. how do you find those two things relate when you're – because I know that a lot of creative people kind of struggle with that part of it of how do you write – when you're not necessarily inspired. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, don't get me wrong. It is, it is not easy. That, that is hard. Writing when I'm not inspired is like pulling teeth. Um, so, but I will, t so let me back up. Um, have you ever heard of strength finders? No. Okay. So strength finders is a, it's almost like a personality test. Um, and it's, issued by Gallup, which is like an organization. And Becca Syme is a strength finders coach who actually applies it to writers. So part of my organization comes from a lot of what I've learned in, a Be in Becca Syme's strength finders class. So basically she issues you this personality test. I took it. And what, what it does is it, instead of focusing on like your, your strengths and your weaknesses, it just focuses on your strengths. So it, it gives you like the list of your your top 36 strengths in order of like how great you are, you know, like number one is like your, your, like your strongest strength. And then 36 is your weakest strength. And, um, basically, um, your, what she encourages you to do as a writer is to lean into your strengths and not focuses on focus on your weaknesses. So for example, if you are not a morning person, she says, stop trying to correct your behavior to become a morning person and lean into the time period that is best for you to write. So my strengths are my top five strengths are like focus, strategy, individualization, intellection. Basically what those mean are I do really well if I work on one project at a time and I have a thinking space between the project so I can create layers in the story. Um, I also do really well if I have a consistent schedule. If I don't have a consistent schedule, I will not be able to finish the story. Uh, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm in the middle of a move and I don't have a consistent schedule. And I'm really struggling with reading, reaching a book deadline because I just don't have my regular, like three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon. Like I don't have my regular schedule. It's driving me nuts. Um, so for me, I'm organized because I, I have analyzed my strengths and I basically have built processes and I've built systems in place that support my strengths. 
So what I do works specifically for Nisha Sharma. Um, and that's the only reason why I'm, you know, I'm as successful as I am in being organized because I know that this is what my personality is. And these are the types of things that will help me develop the most productive process or the most productive, you know, day I can possibly create. Um, so that's why I'm organized. It's because I took a personality <laughs> test and I've had a coach. <laughs> so, so it's, it's not magic. It was $400 class. <laughs> that is, that's what it was. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> um, all right, tell me tell me a little bit about Radha and Jay's recipe for romance, which is coming out in July. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um this is this book was so freaking hard to write. Um my so-called Bollywood life, I tell people my first YA is like a love letter to the younger self that I wish I always used to be or I wish I was, because the character is confident and secure and you know, she's, she knows what she wants out of life and she wants to make the best decisions to kind of get what she wants out of life basically. And, um, and she's funny and it was just a very lighthearted read. Um, Radha and Jay's a little different because, um, uh, the main character Radha is a classical Indian dancer and she's one of the best in the world. Um, she's at, the international cut the classics at the beginning of the book and she finds out her mother has kind of betrayed her who's a dance mom her mom is like one of the you know premier dance moms and her mom has betrayed her in this this terrible way and um she walks out right before uh the end of the like she she presents um or she dances for the finals um and i was a classical indian dancer and i felt like i was betrayed by someone i who was i was really close with and i ended up leaving dance and so this book was about unlike my so-called bollywood life this book is more about the person that i used to be versus the person i wanted to be and so um talk about evaluating childhood trauma um and uh, the story follows Radha a year after she walks out of this international dance classics. Her parents have divorced. She moves from Chicago to um, uh, she moves from Chicago to New Jersey, where her she promised her mother she has to do one last year at a dance school and prove that dance is no longer something she wants in her life um, before she's allowed to really just make whatever decisions she wants with her future. She doesn't know what future she wants, but like the idea of having like no limitations, no restrictions on what she can do is something that she's, she craves. Like it's like a freedom she's never had. Jay on the other hand is he, he's like this, you know, wonderful character who's trying to be a positive and optimistic, but he wants to go to medical school, which is very unlike a lot of his South Asian peers. Like he wants to pursue medicine because um, his father had um, uh, an accident when he was, um, when Jay was a kid. Um, and there was another patient in the same stroke unit that um, also had an accident and he ended up becoming very close with him. And like through this relationship with these two men, who um, experienced long-term effects of their uh, of their physical condition? Um, they he he wants to to support you know he wants to pursue medicine to support people like them. So um, and they're they're very important in his life, and he's ready to basically give all of this medicine, this path to medicine up 
though, because there's his family is now struggling financially. So the story deals with class differentiation. It deals with um, disability. It um, deals with anxiety disorder. Rada has developed this. Um, it's generalized anxiety and stage um, and performance anxiety. And um, she starts having panic attacks. And so uh, it deals with anxiety. And there's a lot of of like um, of these two teenagers trying to figure out how to mourn a future that they think they no longer are going to be able to have that they they secretly hope for, but they're kind of accepting that it's no, no longer possible. And so they fall in love in the process and there's like one last chance for them to be happy. And they think that if they can do this one thing together, maybe they have a chance to do it. And so it's their, it's their path to like this, you know, to, to try to pursue happiness in a very slim, like possibility, this slim possibility of happiness. So that's a very long-winded explanation. <laughs> of <sorry>. but <laughs> Well, what, what do you hope readers get out of the story? I think that, um, I think the one thing I want readers to get out of the story is that you don't have to have everything figured out before you graduate high school. Um, and Rava pursues food as an escape because she's no longer dancing as much as she is. Her father is a chef and, um, she starts connecting with him in, in a way that like food becomes like an explorative, like way to help deal with her anxiety. And, you can like more than one thing and you can be good at more than one thing. And I think that's the second piece of it, that dance doesn't have to be her whole identity. She can be so many other things at the same time. And, um, and I think that's a lesson that it took me a while to learn. And I think it's important for other people to also know. So this book comes out in July, July 13th. Yep. What I'm I'm very excited for for another project that you were working on also, <laughs> and I I would like you to tell people about what's next for you. So uh, after July, my first trade romance comes out, and it is part of a trilogy called <laughs> "If Shakespeare Was an Auntie." <laughs> And I have no idea why my publisher agreed to let me to call this trilogy <laughs> Shakespeare was an auntie, but it is what it is. And I'm doing um, Shakespeare play reimaginations. Uh, so the first one is a reimagination of Taming of the Shrew. The second one is Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, and the third one is Twelfth Nights. So uh taming of the shrew has been quite an interesting experience um doc it's called dating dr bill bill means heart the hero's first name is frame which means love and he's a cardiologist because i like a good pun um and there is a gossip columnist who gives advice to all the aunties in the series and her name is mrs ws gupta and mrs gupta tells all the aunties, how they how they can encourage their children to be matched up uh, in this modern era <laughs> where kids are more focused on their careers than on their family life. So um, Dating Dr. Bill is coming out in January and I am working on edits and it's been a fun experience. 
and uh, I hope people enjoy it. <laughs> How could you not enjoy a series called If Shakespeare Was an Auntie? <laughs> it just like makes me smile. <laughs> it's it's so ridiculous. I said the phrase and they started laughing. I was like, I didn't think it was that funny. No, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> um, I'm glad. All right. Who are some of your favorite South Asian writers, South Asian American writers? Um, and what books should do you think people should be picking up? Oh, that's a good question. So uh, Sheba Kareem just came out with her most recent release. Uh, it's called The Marvelous Mirza Girls, which is a road trip story in Delhi. Um, it's not really a road trip. It's like a trip story in Delhi, which I, I think Sheba's great. She always unpacks really fantastic, deep, content um, and deep issues in South Asian community. So I highly recommend Sheba Kareem. Um, a book that is um, coming out, uh, I think in six months or so, Navdeep Singh Dillon's book, uh, Sunny G. Oh God, what is it called? <sighs> Hold on, I'm gonna Google it. Right. It's a long title. <laughs> I know, uh, sorry Navdeep. Um, sorry Navdeep. <laughs> We, oh, uh, Sunny G's series of rash decisions. Yes. That's, that's what it is. It's, I'm very excited to read this book. The cover looks fantastic. Navdeep is hysterical. I'm absolutely positive this is going to be a really fun book. Um, so highly recommend people to pre-order and to pick that one up. Um, uh, Adiba Jayudar's book is coming out, Hani and Issues, uh, Guide to Fake Dating, which is a sapphic love story, fake dating story. Also very excited about Adiba's book. Um, and uh, if you're looking for fantasy, Thanaz, Bathina's book is coming out. Uh, her, it's the second in her um, uh, Hindu mythology inspired um, series. Um, oh God. Thanaz, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of it, but I pre oh, Hunted by the Sky. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Rising Like a Storm. Hunted by the Sky is the first book. Rising Like a Storm is the second. So those are some books that I'm really excited about. I can go on and on about South Asia. Yeah, I know. We'll, <laughs> we'll link to them in the show notes so people can yes. pre-order because, <laughs> yes, they all sound awesome. Um, all right. I feel like, is there anything else? I feel like you you had so mm. much good stuff to say. I I really appreciate it. Um, I I don't think I have anything else. I'm just uh, really excited about people reading Radha and Jay's Recipe for Romance. It is not as lighthearted and you know happy go lucky as my so called Bollywood life, but I hope people still connect with it. There's tons of recipes in it, and um, if people would like to pre order, um, they can pre order from Books of Wonder, Love Sweet Arrow, or the Newtown Bookshop. Um, and you can get sticker swag, which is really exciting. So that's it for me. That is very exciting. Um, so Swapna and I like to end the show often with talking about what we're into and what we're like doing right now. So what are you into? Right now I'm into moving. Um, <laughs> so to be completely honest with you, I'm into moving. And um, I don't know if this is the right audience to share this information. If you feel people will be like, Nisha Sharma, what is wrong with you? But um, I've been really into <laughs> mafia romance <laughs> for the last like 
two, three months, not going to lie. Uh, I've just been devouring mafia romance. And I realized this is connected to some sort of Misha Sharma trauma in, in some way or another. Um, but if there's like a kidnapping, if there's like a shootout, I've just been very excited about these romances. So uh, that's what I've been into. And if you want some recommendations, you can follow me on TikTok. I've been making quite a bit of mafia romance videos. I highly recommend following Nisha on TikTok. It is a, it is a good follow. Um, <laughs> as for me, what am I into? I mean, too, too many secret projects that I'm furious that I cannot share with people, but hopefully I will be able to share some of those soon. Um, and in the meantime, what I am doing is really listening to a lot of audiobooks. I just oh, did great. the entire Folk of the Air series, which is one of my favorite favorite series from Holly Black. I'm very in a, I'm in a, I'm in a big fantasy mood right now, and I just picked up Kirsten White's The Guinevere Deception in audio. Mm-hmm. And I don't know something. I was never an audiobook person, but something about Pando Times has like let my brain yeah. pull that in. Like I'm not a good auditory information person but it's been awesome oh that's great i um i love audiobooks when i'm driving specifically like i never really listen to music when i'm driving now i just listen to audiobooks and um if you're into fantasy or urban fantasy romance uh nalini singh's entire Mm -hmm. side changeling series on audiobook is fantastic noted um it's it's narrated by angela da who's just incredible that is, I'm I'm writing that down. That's a good. That's a good note. Hopefully, my <laughs> library has it because <laughs> my pockets. <laughs> Audiobooks are expensive. They're a little pricey, sure. but but hey, if you have a but library card, you can get just download Libby, and you can have access to a huge, huge library of audiobooks that you can just get for free on your phone. Absolutely, your local library. Um. All right, Nisha, where can people find you? People can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Nisha Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. And you can find me on my website at Nisha-Sharma.com. All of my social media handle stuff, my website all has information about my books and my pre-order campaign with Radha and Jay's Recipe for Romance. And if you stay tuned within a few weeks, we can release the cover of Dating Dr. Bill, which is really exciting. So stay tuned. <laughs> uh, and as for Daisy Geek Girls, we are part of the Hard Knock Live Podcast Network. You can find all the podcasts in the Hard Knock Media family at hardknockmedia.com. That's N-O-C, Hard Knock Media. And to our Patreon supporters, thank you to Alec, Geisha, Meredith, Roni, and Maya at the $12 level. And to Amber, Sam, Patrick, Jordan, Annie, Brandy, Shelly, Claire, Brian, Robert, Chris, The Knot Family, Priya, and Creative Grey at the $5 level. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter, you can go to patreon.com slash Girls, And you can find us on social, on Twitter at Girls. I am at runwithskizzers. That's S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. Thank you for listening. And as always, until next time, we'll see you in hell. (laughs) 